It's Storming the Court with Ryan Connell. Welcome into Storming the Court. Today is Wednesday, March 17th, and the bracket is finalized. The 6 p.m. deadline on Tuesday night has passed, and no teams have dropped out of the 2021 NCAA tournament due to COVID restrictions. So we're going full steam ahead with the field of 68, and we're here to break it all down for you and what you need to know on how to fill out your bracket. Today's show will be a region-by-region breakdown. We'll start in the West, go to the South, Midwest, and East, region-by-region, matchup-by-matchup, all the way from the round of 64 to the Final Four. We'll give you our Final Four picks, National Championship picks. So without further ado, let's get this started. We'll start in the West region, the upper left quadrant of your bracket, where Gonzaga, the 26-0, is the number one overall seed. They'll take on the winner of the play-in game on Thursday between Norfolk State and Appalachian State. There's not too much to be said about this game. There's only been one time that a 16 seed has lost to a 1 seed. That was Virginia back in 2018. Gonzaga has been the best team in college basketball all season long. The reason There's a reason they're entering the NCAA tournament undefeated. And they should cruise to whoever they play in the opening round. The 8-9 matchup in the West is number 8 Oklahoma versus number 9 Missouri. These two teams both are have been on a similar path. They have each had their moments this year where they've knocked off very quality opponents, but have struggled when it comes down the stretch. Oklahoma, 1.13 straight games against AP top 10 teams, but they've lost five of their last six overall. Missouri, on the other hand, they've lost six of their last nine after starting 13-3, and three, so both teams heading in the wrong direction. However, Oklahoma does have the ability to hang in there they showed in the Big 12 that they could be a force. They rattled off wins over Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia. Like They're actually a good team. Missouri, same thing. They beat Alabama this year. They, hang clo- they hung close with Arkansas a few times. They played them. I like Oklahoma in this matchup solely because I think I just trust them more. It's as simple as that. This this might be one of the most coin-flippable games of the entire bracket. Eight nines are normally a coin flip, but... Especially this one. I think these are two very equal teams. I like Oklahoma because I think Austin Reeves and Brady Manick, their one-two punch can really take over a game. And I just don't see that capability from Missouri. 5-12 matchup in the West region. Creighton, the 5 seed against UC Santa Barbara, the 12. Every year, pretty much, there's always a 12 over a 5 seed. 30 of the last 35 NCAA tournaments, at least one 12 seed has taken down a 5 seed. To put it in perspective a little bit more, in the last NCAA tournament back in 2019, three of the 12 seeds defeated five seeds. The only one that was not defeated as a five seed was Auburn, who actually made it all the way to the final four. So, if that's something to keep in mind, you should then take a little closer look into Creighton and UC Santa Barbara. Well, if we look at Creighton, they lost in the Big East Championship game to Georgetown, and they got blown out in that one. It was embarrassing. Georgetown just went on a massive run in the middle of the game. It was never really close for Creighton. However, Creighton all year long has been relatively decent. 20-8 overall, 14-6 in the Big East. The problem with Creighton, I think, is more off the court. In the end of February, their head coach, Greg McDermott, was suspended for a game after making racially insensitive statements following a team's loss to Xavier that didn't sit well with a lot of the players on the team. Didn't sit well with the university. He had to come out and make a public apology. They put him on administrative leave for a weekend. And then they brought him back for the Big East tournament. So he ended up only missing one game. Their best player, Marcus Zagorowski, came out and backed him. 
But to me, I think it all kind of unraveled in that Big East title game. It seemed like that they didn't quit on their coach, but they just the effort level wasn't there. And that concerns me with a team like Creighton, who has been so volatile all season long. At times, they look extremely strong, and then they you know, go out and lay some eggs against some of the bad teams in the Big East. And it gives me pause to, to choose him here. You see Santa Barbara, on the other hand, the Gauchos out of the Big West, they put together quite a impressive season. They are 22-4 overall, their first Big West title and first NCAA tournament berth since 2011. They've won 18 of their last 19 games. They don't do one thing particularly well. It's not like they shoot 50% from the floor or 45% from beyond the arc. They don't do that. It's just they do everything really well. And in a 5-12 scenario, I'm going to roll with a team like UC Santa Barbara, who's hot at the right time, who I think has showed for most of the season that they're the best team in their conference. Their conference tournament game wasn't even particularly close. I like them to upset Creighton because I think there's a lot of other issues within Creighton that are just not being brought to the public light. I think there's just a lot going on off the court there. It's hard for me to trust a team like Creighton. I like UC Santa Barbara, the 12th seed, to advance. 4-13 matchup is Virginia versus Ohio. Virginia, they're in an interesting predicament. They aren't traveling to their game. Their game is on Saturday night. They aren't traveling to their game until Friday morning. They're the only team, as it currently stands, that is not in Indianapolis as we speak here on Wednesday morning. They are the defending national champions, but what does Virginia do? They play great defense and then have sporadic bursts of offense and have the tendency to go cold. It's very dangerous, especially in a one-game scenario. Ohio, on the other hand, they have one of the most explosive players in the tournament and a name that you should keep your eye on. Jacob Preston is a beast. He can be an absolute animal um, and just... Take over a game because he has the ability to score at will. Ohio, they ran right through the Mac. They are a trendy pick at the moment, but I kind of like Ohio in this scenario. Give me the 13-seeded Bobcats over UVA. We've seen UVA lose games in the opening round of the tournament before. As I mentioned before, the only team ever to lose to a 16-seed as a 1-seed. It's not as bad of a scenario here, but with all their COVID struggles and perhaps not knowing exactly who they're going to be able to put on the floor for that game, Limited practice time beforehand, just a lot of other variables. I just, I just can't pick again. I just can't pick UVA right now. There's just a lot of other variables in the equation there. I like Ohio to pull off the upset. Give me the 13 seeded Bobcats. Six eleven matchup. It'll be USC versus the winner of the play-in game between Wichita State and Drake. I would like Drake to win that game over Wichita State in the play-in round. However, that does not factor into who I think wins this game. USC. As Evan Mobley, a projected top three pick in the NBA draft. They're an experienced team with a five-star prospect in the middle. It, I don't think it gets talked about enough. We talk a lot about Cade Cunningham in Oklahoma State and some of the other best freshmen in America. And since Evan Mobley's on the West Coast, it doesn't get as much, you know, primetime TV time on the East Coast. He still gets plenty of nationally televised games playing in the Pac-12, but he won Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, Pac-12 Player of the Year, and Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year all in one season. That doesn't get talked about enough how hard that is to do. USC has a legit shot to make a deep run here as a sixth seed. I like them over, over whoever wins the playing game between Wichita State and Drake. Kansas, the three seed against 14 seed Eastern Washington. We talked about COVID issues with Virginia. There was some COVID issues with Kansas as well. Second leading scorer and leading rebounder, Jalen Wilson, will not be making the trip 
to Indianapolis for their first round game against Eastern Washington. I think Kansas can still beat Eastern Washington if it ha doesn't have one of its best players, especially if they're supposed to get back starting center and second leading rebounder David McCormick, who missed time in the Big 12 tournament and was part of the reason why Kansas was forced to withdraw from the Big 12 tournament. I like the Jayhawks here over Eastern Washington out of the Big Sky. 7-10 matchup, a team very dangerous to the two-seed Iowa in this region. That would be the seven-seed Oregon Ducks. Oregon, as they do every year, kind of starting to play well at the right time. They got upset in the Pac-12 tournament, but that's one game. It's not like they their sample size of what they've been able to do over here has been pretty solid. 20-6 and six overall, 14-4 and four in the Pac-12. They were the one seed in the Pac-12 tournament. They've won 11 of their last 13 games. Led the Pac-12 and made threes per game and in three-point percentage, 38%. They're 14-1 this season when they make at least eight threes. When they make less than eight threes, they're 6-5. VCU, known for their defense, going to be a tough matchup in that regard. I just don't think VCU has the offensive capability to keep up with a team like Oregon, and especially, as I mentioned, if they make eight threes. They have quite the record this season when making eight threes, 14 and one on the season. Definitely something to be a telling stat in this one. Give me Oregon, the seven over the 10. Last matchup in the first round comes with the number two seed Iowa Hawkeyes against the 15 seed Grand Canyon Antelopes. Antelopes making their first ever appearance to the big dance. Thanks to Bryce Drew. Bryce Drew is their coach, former star at Valparaiso back in the 90s, famous for hitting a buzzer beater in the NCAA tournament. Also the brother to Baylor head coach Scott Drew. Grand Canyon out of the WAC, 17-6 overall, 9-3 in the WAC. The last time a WAC team won an NCAA tournament game was 2007, when that was Nevada. Iowa, we know what they are. They have the National Player of the Year in Luca Garza. They have a cast of seniors around them and shooters, which make for... One of the better teams at the Big Ten all season long. Iowa has been a worthy top 10 team this entire season. I think they're able to close the door here. I don't think this is much of a game for Grand Canyon, but Iowa advances to the second round. So we'll start back up at the top. We have Gonzaga versus Oklahoma in the round of 32. Give me the Zags all day, every day. Oklahoma, as I mentioned, far too inconsistent. I don't think they have the defensive prowess to slow down the likes of Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, Andrew Namhard, Joel Ayayi. Gonzaga just has a bunch of dudes coming at you from all different angles. Give me the Zags into the Sweet 16. Next matchup in the round of 32 is the 12-seed UC Santa Barbara against 13-seed Ohio. I like UC Santa Barbara over Ohio in this spot. I'm going to ride the Gauchos. I think they're they're my team to make it to the Sweet 16. Because there's always a double-digit seed that finds its way through. At least one double-digit seed has reached the Sweet 16 in every year since 2008. So, I'm going to put the Gauchos through. It doesn't matter who I put through. They're both double-digit seeds. But I like the Gauchos head-to-head -head against the Bobcats. Give me UC Santa Barbara in the Sweet 16. Moving further down the bracket, number six seed USC versus number three seed Kansas. I think if Kansas can get by their opening game without Jalen Wilson, this will be their toughest match without him. The USC, I said, Evan Mobley. They have Taj Eady who can make shots from the perimeter. But the problem with USC is, as much as Mobley dictates things, and Edie's a good complementary player, after you get past their first two guys, the depth for USC is where it starts to drop off. Kansas, although some of the guys are not household names coming off the bench for them, they just seem to always put out a good product, and they play well, and they play good under well under 
Bill Self's system. I like Kansas over USC, so Kansas advances to the Sweet 16. Then this was the toughest matchup for me in the round of 32 in the West region. Seventh seed Oregon against two seed Iowa. Oregon is a team that lives and dies by the three. As I mentioned before, they have just one loss when they make over eight threes per game. Iowa, kind of the same thing. They can be a fantastic shooting team that puts up 90 points on you, or there's games where they just cannot score, and you wonder if they, if they can have the defense to stop you because their defense is one of their biggest question marks. For me, I had to side with Iowa just because I think they have the best player in the country in Luka Garza. I don't think Oregon has someone that matches up with up well with him in the post. So I think if Iowa was to get into trouble and they just have to keep feeding Garza, he can find a way to get it done. Sweet 16 matchups in the West region. Number one, Gonzaga against UC Santa Barbara. This is where the UC Santa Barbara Gauchos Cinderella run comes to an end, giving Gonzaga to roll easily into the Elite Eight. I think Gonzaga just has one of the, easy, the easiest region of all the one seeds. They probably rightfully deserve it. They're the number one overall seed. They've been undefeated. I think the NCAA tournament committee wants them to get to the Final Four undefeated. It makes for a better storyline. The two, three, and four seed in their region are three teams they all played this year and beat all of them by double digits. So, give me Gonzaga easily into the Elite Eight. And then Kansas versus Iowa. I think this is where Kansas finally gets back to full strength. I don't trust Iowa enough. There is just something missing on the defensive end, which was better towards the end of the regular season, but still causes me great concern when playing a team so characteristically and defensively sound like Kansas. Give me Kansas to advance against Gonzaga. So we have Gonzaga versus Kansas in the Elite Eight with a trip to the front of four on the line. These two teams back met back on Thanksgiving Day where Gonzaga beat Kansas by 11 points. I like Gonzaga again to get past the Jayhawks. Give me the Zags into the Final Four out of the West region. So that's the West region. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Most people are going to pick Gonzaga. They entered the NCAA tournament undefeated for a reason. As of it stands right now, 67% of people have them going to the Final Four. That's from ESPN.com. So nearly two-thirds of people are saying Gonzaga easily into the Final Four. We'll move over to the upper right-hand quadrant of the bracket where Baylor is the number one seed and the number two overall seed in the field. Scott Drew's Baylor Bears will take on the 16 Hartford Hawks in the opening round of the tournament. One through four in this region is Baylor the one, Ohio State the two, Arkansas the three, Purdue the four. So Baylor versus Hartford in the first round. Hartford advancing to their first ever NCAA tournament appearance winning the American East. Awesome story for John Gallagher and the Hartford Hawks, but you meet a one seed in the first round. Sorry, it just doesn't happen. Baylor on to the round of 32. 8-9 game. North Carolina, the 8 seed against 9 seed Wisconsin. So North Carolina, their strengths are their big men. They have four guys they rotate in that are awesome. Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, Dayron Sharp, and then the emergence of Walker Kessler here at the end of the regular season and into the ACC tournament has proven to be their fourth and really powerful big man that North Carolina has in the interior. Their backcourt, though, of R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, a lot more, a lot younger, very inexperienced. Against a team in Wisconsin who is one of the oldest teams in the entire country, they start primarily all seniors, a couple redshirt seniors, guys that have come off the bench also are three- and four-year players. They have some old dudes, and when I mean old dudes, they have guys that are like 26 on their team. Wisconsin is Almost too old, but I think in a one-game scenario, I think I like Wisconsin. I don't really know why. 
if that makes sense. I just don't, I just can't really get behind North Carolina too much. So I'm going to ride with the experience. I'm going to take a team like Wisconsin who's just underperformed all season long. I think if there's a time that they get, you know, a win when no one's expecting it, I think it's in this scenario against a team like North Carolina. 5-12 matchup, probably one of the popular 5-12 upsets. The 5-seed Villanova against the 12-seed Winthrop Eagles. Winthrop has lost once all season long. Villanova lost its second leading scorer and heart and soul of its team, Colin Gillespie, a couple weeks back to a torn MCL. Their third leading scorer, Justin Moore, injured his ankle in their last game of the regular season. He should be back for the NCAA tournament. A lot of people are doubting Villanova because they finished the season really poor. And that that is to be, I think there is some, you know, justice to that. Like, they have looked bad at the end of the year. I'll just put it lightly. Since Colin Gillespie got hurt, they've lost every game they've played. They started the year 15-3. They had a long COVID pause. They finally came back. Gillespie was starting to play well. And then they fell off. Gillespie got hurt, and things have been rocky since. However, I think this is becoming a trendy, trendy pick. Winthrop 23-1 on the season. They won the Big South. Cruised easily, but they haven't played a major conference team all season long. They've won seven straight games since their only loss of the season, which came to UNC Asheville. For those of you that don't know, UNC Asheville is one of the worst teams in the Big South. So although Winthrop lost once all season, they lost to one of the worst teams in their entire conference, which isn't even a good conference. They play with one of the fastest tempos in college basketball. Villanova wants to play slow. So that's where the disparity comes in here. The only teams, two teams that play faster than Winthrop are Gonzaga and Alabama. Winthrop third on that list. That's where I think it gets interesting. Because if you look at a team, if you're going to pick an upset, you want a, a team that's the underdog to do something well that the other team, that the favorite team doesn't. At least that's the way that I look at it. So... If Villanova plays slow and they don't like to play fast, playing the opposite style, like Winthrop does, playing up-tempo, would lead itself to be an upset maybe worth considering solely because they do something well that the team that's expected to win struggles with. However, I think Villanova and Jay Wright has done phenomenal. He's done a phenomenal job in the last couple of years, obviously maintaining such a national power, winning two national championships in three years. Sure, they're not that same team. Sure, they don't have Gillespie actually playing games, but I think his senior leadership from the bench is also really key. And having Justin Moore come back now, almost fully healed from that ankle injury, that ankle injury he suffered at the end of the regular season, I, I think a lot of people are starting to vil, doubt Villanova, and I'm not going to be one of them. Four verse thirteen here in the South region, we have Purdue against North Texas, the Mean Green of the Conference USA. We're winning the Conference USA Championship game for most of the entire game. They only ended up scoring like 10 points in the second half. They really struggled in the entire second half. But they did hold on and win in overtime. It's their first NCAA tournament berth since 2010. They're 0-3 all-time in the NCAA tournament. There are not, There's not much home advantage for the entire NCAA tournament being held in Indianapolis. But if there's one team that benefits from limited fans playing in their backyard, it's Purdue. Purdue is right in the surrounding Indianapolis area. Their home arena, Mackey Arena, will be one of the venues used here in the first couple rounds of the tournament. Obviously, they won't get to play games there. But just being able to be in a place close to home, not really had to. Tra- they didn't really have to travel. I like Purdue 
6-11 matchup in the South region. Number 6, Texas Tech against number 11, Utah State. Utah State and Namias Keita, one of the most fascinating players in all of college hoops. He's nearly a triple-double machine. This is a 6-10 forward with a lot of length. Just does everything well. He could score 20 points a game, grab 15 boards, throw in 8 blocks, and you're like, wow. All right, this is, this is legit. Texas Tech, on the other hand, they have some weapons. Mac McClung, the transfer from Georgetown, Terrence Shannon Jr., Kevin McCullough, Kyler Edwards, Marcus Santos Silva, Mike Peavy. Texas Tech just has a bunch of players. And Chris Beard is, you know, you talk about coaches who maybe don't get the, the respect that they deserve. Texas Tech should have won the national championship two years ago. I think that's what people forget. Like, Virginia had to come back and win that game. Texas Tech nearly put them away. And Texas Tech is not... It has not been a basketball school, and it's slowly turning into it. Give me Texas Tech over Utah State. 314 matchup. Fascinating, fascinating 314 matchup in the South region. Number three, Arkansas against number 14, Colgate. Two of the fastest teams in the country. So we talked about how Winthrop plays our third fastest pace in the country. Fourth and fifth on that list are Arkansas and Colgate, and they play each other in the first round. This is going to be a game that just get up and down the floor. Probably the first one in 90 wins. Colgate hasn't played that many games this year. They've had a lot of games canceled due to COVID problems, but I still like Arkansas. As I said, if you're going to pick a team for an upset, you want to have them do something that the favored team struggles to do well. Well, what the thing that Colgate does really well is the same thing that Arkansas does really well. That's getting up and down the court and score a lot. So I'll take the Power Conference team, who's the three seed, who should win this game, to advance in the 3-14 matchup. Give me Arkansas. 7-10 matchup, the rivalry of Kerry Blackshear. Started his career at Virginia Tech, played three years there, transferred last year to play at Florida, and that's our 7-10 matchup. 7-seed Florida, 10-seed Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech slightly underseeded as a 10-seed. Virginia Tech for most of the season was second in the ACC. Then they had uh, some COVID problems where they were shut down, didn't play that many games down the stretch. Kevin Aluma, their leading scorer, averages nearly 16 points per game, 8 rebounds, one of three ACC players this season to average over 15 points and 8 boards per game. One of the only other, the only other Moses, is Moses Wright from Georgia Tech and Justin Champagny of Pittsburgh. Moses Wright won ACC Player of the Year. Justin Champagny was also first-team All-ACC. Mike Young was ACC Coach of the Year, the coach of the Hokies. He was the coach back at Wofford a few years back, and has kind of taken that what he, the success that he had at Wofford out of the SoCon brought it to Virginia Tech. In their last six games, they went 3-3 three and three after having weeks off due to COVID problems. I think people are kind of discounting how good Virginia Tech was earlier in the year. They beat Virginia head-to-head. They beat Villanova at full, when Villanova was at full strength. Like They put together a couple of signature wins. Uh, they're a sneaky good team. I like them over Florida in this spot. 215 matchup, Ohio State, the two seed against the 15 seed, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, congrats on getting to the big dance. Sorry, you have to play Ohio State. Ohio State moves on easily. Round of 32 in the South region. We have number one, Baylor, against number nine, Wisconsin. I like Baylor. I think they've been one of the best teams, if not the second best team in college basketball for the duration of the season. Although they, you know, stumble a little bit down the stretch after coming off a four-week layoff due to COVID problems. I think they showed all season long that they're one of the best teams in the country. I think we we as a collective 
are just kind of undervaluing that because it's to show me what you've done lately for me, and they've lost some games lately, so there's less concern. There's a lot more concern there, and you know less confidence in Baylor. I like Baylor to move on to the Sweet 16. Villanova versus Purdue. This one's kind of splitting hairs here. As I said, Purdue has the advantage of kind of being in their backyard. Villanova is still without will be without their starting point guard, heart and soul of their team. But for some reason, I'm going to roll with Villanova. I just, at the beginning of the season, I said they were going to be a fantastic team. They have plenty of weapons without Gillespie. I think with Justin Moore back, he can take over that leadership and the responsibility of being their point guard. That's key for them. They have a full week to finally practice. Now everyone's starting to get healthy. This is this is where I think I get a little discount on Villanova. 6-3 matchup. Texas Tech against Arkansas. Arkansas, as I said, plays really fast. Texas Tech can muck it up with anyone. Texas Tech has a lot more losses on their resume than people. Like, they, they, they have a bad record if you look at it for a six seed. But all their losses came to so, so good teams in the Big 12. Think about the teams that they played. The likes of Kansas, Texas, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Those are the teams that they would lose to. They didn't lose to the bad teams. They lost to those teams. Texas Tech, I think, can finish the deal against a team like Arkansas because with Arkansas, if they're not making shots, they play so fast, they're going to give Texas Tech a significant amount of possessions. Texas Tech can slow it down. They can play defense to match up against Arkansas. I like Texas Tech, and I trust Chris Beard. So give me Texas Tech into the Sweet 16. Ohio State versus Virginia Tech. I don't think this one's much of a game. I like Ohio State. I think they have been one of the best two seeds and will be one of the best two seeds in this entire tournament. We saw what they could do in the Big Ten Championship game against Illinois. They took them to overtime. They came back after trailing in that game by double digits time and time again. Ohio State with E.J. Liddell, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Washington Jr., C.J. Walker, awesome, awesome team. Chris Holtman does a phenomenal job. Ohio State to the Sweet 16. So first matchup is Baylor versus Villanova. I think this is where... Villanova's luck runs out. I like Baylor. They're just too strong top to bottom. This would have been an interesting matchup if Colin Gillespie could go for Villanova because I think at that point, Villanova then has three guards to match up with the starting three guards for Baylor. But since they don't have Gillespie, I don't trust the likes of the younger Archie Diacono in the backcourt for Villanova. His older brother was quite good. and I just don't think he's ready yet. So I like Baylor to move on to the Elite Eight. Then Ohio State versus Texas Tech. I like Ohio State. I think... As I just laid out, they have a plethora of weapons. They can score at will. I think Texas Tech has the ability to slow down Arkansas, but asking them to do that two games in a row and slow down Ohio State as well. I like the Buckeyes against Baylor here, and give me Baylor. Baylor is the number one three-point shooting team in the country. They shoot over 42% from beyond the arc. They can play defense. And the one thing that Baylor like struggles with is rebounding, and they don't have that much great size. Well, Ohio State's tallest player is 6'8". So if there's a matchup for them in terms of, like, they think they're going to get beat with size, it's not against Ohio State because Ohio State may be one of the few teams in the country that, it, you know, is a, low, is a lower seed that is just as small as Baylor. I like Baylor to get past Ohio State just because I think they've been a better team all season long. I trust Baylor in a big spot. Halfway through the bracket, so we have, out of the West region so far, Gonzaga, and out of the South region, Baylor. Don't worry, it's not too, it's chalky to start, but this is where the fun gets going. But before we dive into the East and the Midwest region, let me tell you about something uh, that I discovered. So I had a friend of mine who, you know, specializes in data optimization and visualization. So what I have in front of me 
is a is a spreadsheet. It's a how to optimize your March Madness bracket. And it's not like guaranteeing you that you're going to win because obviously everything can change on a dime. But what this does is it takes the winning percentage and the winning projections from 538 and it compares them with how people are picking on ESPN.com. ESPN.com, if you go to one the if you go on their website and you're you're filling out your bracket challenge and you go over to who picked whom, it tells you the percentage of people who picked each team to advance round by round. So in the first round, 98% of people have picked Gonzaga to win their round of 64 game. And like so on and so forth, all the way down to the 92% pick them through the round of 32, 83% pick them to win the Sweet 16, 68% pick them to win their Elite 8 game, 54% of people pick them to win in the Final Four and get to the National Championship, and now 38% of people have them winning the whole thing. So what this does is it tells you what people are, are, are already picking that are filling out their brackets, what the percentage according to the the stats model when running the tournament, the simulating the te- tournament 10,000 times, how many times they would actually win, compares those two and shows you the points where you could have some leverage based on going against what the public is doing. So this is playing like a bracket challenge very sharp uh, and with an extra edge to get ahead on the competition. So in the first round alone... There are a handful of matchups that stick out. So, the one with the most leverage in the first round. 7-10 game between Clemson and Rutgers. Rutgers is the 10 seed. According to 538, the projective stats model, you know, 10,000 simulations, Rutgers wins that game nearly 58% of the time. Right now on ESPN.com, users and people filling out brackets are only taking Rutgers at 38.6% of the time, which means that there is a 19 19- 19% discrepancy, which means that is a 7-10 matchup where if you take Rutgers, according to the stats, they're most likely going to win the game, but nobody is picking them, so that is a spot where you can have a one-up on the competition. So essentially what this does, it show, it kind of breaks everything down and shows you the spots where maybe you know some teams are garnering people to pick them solely because... You know, they like those teams or they're very popular teams. Some of them, it makes sense. Like, it's like, all right, well, obviously a lot of people are going to pick Gonzaga to go to the Final Four. Like, that's not, like, that's probably the most common result, though. Like, according to the stats model, Gonzaga makes the Final Four out of their region 55% of the time. So, more than 50% of the time they're going to make it. It's not, you know, crazy for you to pick them to go there. But, like, how can you be slightly different in some of your other first and second round picks uh, to break kind of the trends that other people and the, and to have just a little bit of discrepancy between your bracket and somebody else's. Because at the end of the day, if you have the same four teams in the Final Four that all the other people in your bracket pool do, and you have the same teams winning, it'll come down to the what first round and second round matchups did, did you have that they didn't have to kind of get that leg up. And my friend ran this in the last tournament back in 2019. He finished in the top 0.01% of ESPN.com. There's only 500 brackets on the whole website that finished better than his. So, obviously, you know, it pitted the Final Four of Auburn, Virginia, Texas Tech, and Michigan State. And it had Virginia over Texas Tech in the National Championship. All that panned out. So, I will drop the link to the spreadsheet into the podcast description and... So you, if anyone is interested, you could take a closer look at it. But in terms of high leverage plays in the opening round, where the stats say they win, but people are picking against them, 
Rutgers will win 58% of the time, according to the stats. Only 38% of people are picking them. Colorado, five seed, projected to win 70% of the time against Georgetown. Only 54% of people are picking them. A lot of people are picking Georgetown, because Georgetown's a name brand. Then you think of other name brands. North Carolina, 55% of people are picking North Carolina to beat Wisconsin. Well, North Carolina only has a 44% chance of winning, according to the stats. So, by nature, you should pick Wisconsin to be slightly different, because there are always teams that people gravitate to that you know, are dominated by the public. North Carolina, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Kansas, the Syracuse. Like, big blue blood programs, that's who people want to pick. It's the names they know, it doesn't matter what their seed is, and if they're low-seeded, like Syracuse is 11th seed, they're like, oh, I'll pick Syracuse. They're always better than an 11th seed. Like, I need a little upset. That's not really an upset to me. I think that's a misseeding. Because people don't follow college basketball. That's what they think. And, you know, sometimes they are right in that regard. But if you want to be different and you want to use the stats and provide some leverage for yourself to be slightly different without making your bracket a ton of upsets and really crazy, this is an awesome tool to do. So I will drop it in the description below. Please take a closer look at that if you're interested in any of the, you know, advanced data and stats and see how that compares and how you can use that because at the end of the day, this bracket pool is essentially a bunch of stats and it's a big predictive model. There's so many different, the range of outcomes for March Madness are so severe. There's just, you know, there's polar opposites, like in one one matchup you think it's going to go one way, it goes the exact opposite way. And this is basically one big mathematical equation and simulation. So if you want to use that on your side, this is going to provide you the leverage that you need. So let's get back to the actual bracket. We'll start with the Midwest region. We already had the West and South region. We have Gonzaga coming out of the West, Baylor out of the South. Let's start with the Midwest. The Illinois fighting Illini, the one seed, taking on 16-seeded Drexel out of the CAA. Shouts to Drexel making their first NCAA tournament since 1996. The 25-year drought is over, but you draw one of the best teams in the country in Illinois. They cruise easily in the round of 64. 8-9 matchup. Loyola Chicago, the 8th seed out of the Missouri Valley against the 9-seed Georgia Tech champions of the ACC. Loyola Chicago, famous for their Final Four run just a few years back. They have some of the same pieces on that team as well. All the upperclassmen on this Loyola Chicago team were underclassmen on that team just a few years ago. Sister Jean, the famous, you know, old nun from Loyola Chicago, was 98 in the last NCAA tournament. She's 101 now, and she got the clearance from the NCAA to attend Loyola Chicago's game on Friday. So, Sister Jean will be in the building for Loyola Chicago and the Ramblers against Georgia Tech. That's what scares me. Uh, they got the Lord on their side now, so that's definitely something to consider if, if you value that at all. However, Georgia Tech is a extremely scrappy team. Jose Alvarado, one of the you know awesome stories in college basketball, a player who you know didn't go went from really no playing time to transitioning himself into an all ACC caliber player in his senior year. He got you know he got banged up a little bit in the ACC tournament, clawed his way back, got back onto the floor. Awesome defensive point guard, can make plays on the offensive end, pest on defense. Georgia Tech also has the ACC player of the year, Moses Wright, who can be a force on the interior. Lowell Chicago is the best defensive team in the country, according to the metrics. However, I like Georgia Tech to advance just because I think that their their scrappiness, you know, goes undervalued. And they won the ACC. Like, 
they got screwed. Like the, this is one of the worst seeded games out there because Georgia Tech won the ACC tournament. They deserved a better seed. And Loyola Chicago deserved to not have to play a one seed in the second round if they were to win. Like they were one of the awesome, they were an awesome team all season long, top twenty five caliber team. I think this is just a you know a game that just gets sandwiched here. It's a tough spot for both of them if and when either of them draw Illinois in the second round. 5-12 matchup in this region is the Tennessee Volunteers against the Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State stole a bid from perhaps the likes of Louisville by capturing the Pac-12 championship. Oregon State was picked to finish last in the Pac-12 at the beginning of the season. But what they say, they said, screw you, we're going on and we're winning the Pac-12 tournament and we're getting an auto bid anyways. And that's exactly what they did. Oregon State, red hot coming into the tournament. Tennessee, one of the most up and down teams of the in, in the entire country. When I think about a team who has the ceiling to be top 10 good and then the ability to lose to one of the worst teams in their conference, Tennessee is the team that comes to mind. So if you are against a team, if you don't like picking teams that from a game-to-game scenario can be two completely different teams, that's what Tennessee is, I'm just going to roll the dice and hope that they get a win because I think Oregon State's luck is going to run out here. They won the Pac-12 tournament. They won, you know, four games in four days. They did what they had to do there. Now there's been a week, and, like, there's a chance for them to fall back down to earth and the magic runs out. Or perhaps Oregon State just keeps on rolling. But I like Tennessee. 4-13 matchup, Oklahoma State against the 13th seed Liberty. Liberty, last time it was in the big dance in 2019, advanced as a 12 seed. They knocked off Virginia Tech in the first round. The Liberty Flames of the Atlantic Sun, good three-point shooting team, they're going to keep this game, I think, closer than people realize. Oklahoma State has one of the best players in the country, first team All-American, and projected number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft, Cade Cunningham. Just for that reason alone, and his ability to take over the game, especially in the second half, Cunningham averages just under 20 points per game, and over 13 of his points per game come in the second half. So he's a guy that comes, that gets better as the game goes along. I like Cunningham in Oklahoma State to advance over Liberty. 6-11 matchup. San Diego State Aztecs against Syracuse. You talk about teams that are red hot. San Diego State has just been rattling off victories. San Diego State, they're awesome. Last year, they were one of the best teams in the country. They shot at a one seed. Right now, they've won 14 straight games by an average margin of 18.4 points per game. It's the second longest active streak, active winning streak in the country, only behind Gonzaga, who's won 30 straight games. Last year, the Aztecs were 30-2. The NCAA tournament was canceled. They should have been a one seed. This year, they've now, they're 23 and 4. They've rattled off 14 straight. They are piping hot. I like the Aztecs over the over Syracuse. Also, because I just don't trust Syracuse. And Syracuse, you know, they play their 2 3 zone. That's what they're known for. And defensively, like, that provides challenges to some teams. However, San Diego State, one of the best three point shooting teams out there, they shoot just under 40%. So if they have the recipe to beat Syracuse, it's their ability to knock down shots from the perimeter. And I like the Aztecs to move on. Three seed, three seed versus the 14 seed here. It's West Virginia versus Moorhead State here in the Midwest region. Moorhead State making their first NCAA tournament appearance in 10 years. Last time they were in the tournament in 2011, they were a 13 seed, and they knocked off four seed at Louisville thanks to the, the likes of Kenneth Fareed. However, Kenneth Fareed, the all-time leading rebounder in men's college basketball history, is not walking through those doors for Moorhead State. So I like West Virginia to roll in that one. 7-10 matchup. I talked about a little bit about this according, you know, to the you know optimal bracket like optimizer. This is the game where you there's just a bunch of a bunch of people are picking Clemson. I mean they're a power conference team. 
They're a seven seed. They should be favored in this game. Rutgers making their first NCAA tournament in 30 years. Rutgers is better than people realize. They've played close to some of the biggest, the best teams in the Big Ten. Clemson is a poor man's version of Virginia. They play good defense. They go through long, long spells offensively where they cannot score. They lose to bad some bad teams, but they also have the ability to hang in with some of the better teams. Rutgers, they grind you the entire way. They want to make this game ugly. This game will probably be really ugly between Clemson and Rutgers. I like Rutgers, though. And as I mentioned before, the optimizer, Rutgers wins this game like 58% of the time right now. Only 38% of brackets have them winning this game. If you want a chance to, you know, just a first-round game where... According to the stats, they have a better chance to win, and no one's picking. Rutgers over Clemson might be that pick. And then Houston versus Cleveland State, the 2 versus the 15. Awesome run by Cleveland State here. A couple years ago, they were one of the worst programs in the Horizon League. Now, they're Horizon League champs. They've met their peak of this year. Houston moves on easily. So, round of 32 in the Midwest region. Number one, Illinois against the 9 seed Georgia Tech. I like the Illini. I think they just have so many weapons with Desumu and Coburn, Adam Miller, Andre Curbelo, like this team's built for it to win a win a championship. I like Illinois to move on. Five four matchup Tennessee and Oklahoma State. I said Tennessee most up and down team in the country. Well, if they do enough to beat Oregon State, you can almost guarantee that they will lay an egg against Oklahoma State. And since with that logic, I will move Oklahoma State onto the Sweet 16. Three six matchup San Diego State and West Virginia. San Diego State red hot team. West Virginia, one of the only teams in the country, I think, that matches San Diego State in terms of being able to shoot from the perimeter. I like West Virginia. I just think their one-two combo of, of Deuce McBride and Derek Culver is going to be too much. I think it overwhelms the interior for San Diego State. San Diego State, they you know, their run comes to an end, but I but without, but they're going to make this game a lot closer than it should be. So I like West Virginia, but San Diego State has the potential to give them quite a scare. Houston versus Rutgers, two teams that just are going to muck it up. And you think Rutgers' first game against Clemson is going to be ugly. This game has the potential just to be as terrible. I like Houston solely because I don't think Rutgers has any offensive firepower that can take down a team like Houston. So, pretty chalky in this region. We have one versus four and two versus three in the Sweet 16. I like Illinois to advance over Oklahoma State, but I think Oklahoma State really wears... Illinois down here to the bone. Illinois is going to have to pull out some magic to beat Oklahoma State because the Cowboys are pretty damn good. 2-3 matchup, Houston versus West Virginia. I like West Virginia. I don't trust Houston. I think Houston's always, every year in the tournament, a fraud um, solely because they don't play anybody in the regular season. They play an American Athletic Conference schedule. Gonzaga won a schedule in the middle of the year. They almost had an agreement in place, and then they pulled out. So it's like they don't want to get exposed in the regular season because they're not that good. They get a higher seed in the NCAA tournament because they don't play anyone and they have a good record. And then they play some team from a power conference team, you know, in the second or third round of the tournament. And then they get bounced because that team is significantly better than them, although they had a worse record in the regular season. I've seen Houston play. Sometimes they uh, sometimes they look like, you know, really dominant. And then I've watched them lose to some of the worst teams in the American Athletic Conference this season. That cannot be trusted. Give me West Virginia to move on. So that sets up an Alito 8 matchup between number one Illinois and number three West Virginia. And I said in when Illinois played Oklahoma State that they were going to really get grinded down. Well, West Virginia plays almost the same exact style as Oklahoma State. Illinois, I think, is bound to flame out. And I don't want to, I don't like to say that because at the beginning of the year, I said Illinois 
was going to be one of the four best teams in the country. And I've been proven right by that. I had I had Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Illinois, and Iowa as my five best teams in the country. That was in the preseason. Obviously, Villanova was on that track until some injuries down the stretch, which derailed them to the five-seed line. But now that Illinois is actually a one-seed, and they've they have figured everything out where they have you know, just been rattling off wins win after win after win. They've won 14 of their last 15. They have six wins against AP Top 10 teams this season, time for the most by any Big Ten team in the history of the league. They have 12 quad one wins, which are the most quad one wins of any team in Division One. Like, they have the resume to be a one seed. They, they are worthy of a run seed. But this is a one-game scenario. And in a one-game scenario, things can go really sideways. And for Illinois, I think West Virginia can match them. Illinois' advantage against a bunch of these other teams in the region is Kofi Coburn. Well, Kofi Coburn meets his match when he meets Derek Culver. Derek Culver is also a walking double-double, a guy that can slow him down. Sure, he gives up two inches and probably 30 pounds to Coburn, but he's also a guy that will wear Coburn down when Coburn's on defense and possibly get him into foul trouble. And if that's the case, and Illinois goes smaller, that's the way West Virginia wants to play. They can bring out Taz Sherman, Sean McNeil, Deuce McBride, E.J. Matthews, like, like they have the the weapons and guys that can score. And I think DeSumo will get tested in that game because West Virginia just bodies you from start to finish of that game all the way up and down the court every time you go down. And Miles McBride is also capable of dropping 30 points for West Virginia. I got to go against the chalk here. Although I liked Illinois a ton all season long, give me West Virginia. To the Final Four. That's the three-seeded Mountaineers and Bob Hoggins making their first trip to the Final Four since 2009. So we head to the East region, the last region. Michigan is your number one overall seed. Alabama the two, Texas the three, Florida State the four seed. Michigan, they draw the winner of Mount St. Mary's, Texas Southern. Sure, I'll take Texas Southern to win that game, but it doesn't matter because Michigan will roll to the round of 32. 8-9 matchup. We talked about 8-9 matchups. Every year these are a toss-up. So... A little history on 8-9s for you. The 8-9 matchup, all time, since the field expanded to in 1985 to 64 teams, was dead even going into the last NCAA tournament. So it was 68-68 and 68 heading into the 2019 tournament. However, in 2019, all four 9 seeds beat 8 seeds. So 9 seeds are now 72-68 and 68 all time versus 8 seeds. It's the only underseeded team that has won more games against the lower seed, if that makes sense. So, of the teams that weren't expected to win in the first round, so any team that's a double-digit seed or a nine seed, nine seeds are the only teams that have winning records against their opponents. This game, like, we talked about how Oklahoma, Missouri is pretty much a coin flip. Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, definitely a close one. Georgia Tech, Loyola, Chicago, that's a that's a bloodbath in the first round. LSU, St. Bonaventures is the same exact way. I think the... The Bonnies showed that they can play defense to an elite level in the A-10. However, LSU has three guys capable of scoring 20 points a game. They have three guys that average over 16 points a game with the likes of Cameron Thomas, Trenton Watford, Javante Smart. In the SEC Championship game against Alabama, LSU put on a show. Like, Watford had 30 points. Uh, Javante, Cameron Thomas had like 25, Javante Smart had 19. They lost by one, and they had four chances at the end of the game to win that game. I like LSU. I think Bonnies have had a, a phenomenal season, but I think LSU is a very much a live team uh, who is capable of going on a run because they could get super hot offensively. 5-12 matchup, Colorado versus Georgetown. Everyone is on Georgetown. 
I am not. Georgetown, there is a reason they entered the the Big East tournament three games under 500. They won the Big East tournament. They won four games in four days. They kind of had a, an easier path to do it. I give them a ton of credit. I think that they showed that they were worthy of that. But that's like their pinnacle. Like Patrick Ewing back in the garden winning the Big East tournament. Clinching a berth to the, the big dance for his alma mater. Like that's the peak for Georgetown. Entering the season, they lost their two best players. Mac McClung transferred to Texas Tech. James Akinjo transferred from Arizona. Both because they didn't like the way the program was going. Patrick Ewing's been there for multiple years. They haven't been good. This is their like their one moment in the last few years. Like Georgetown's been on a major setback ever since they lost that game to Florida Gulf Coast when the 15 beat the two back in 2012. Like Georgetown hasn't been the same. That ended the John Thompson the third era a couple years later. Patrick Ewing brought in, and you know, until the this Big East tournament run, he hasn't been able to do much with Georgetown. A lot of the good players they brought in have left the program. I, I understand why people are picking Georgetown. Like, Georgetown is an awesome brand. It's good for college basketball when Georgetown's good. However, Patrick Ewing is the coach of Georgetown now. He's not the three-time All-American playing center for Georgetown. He's their coach. I like Colorado. I think they're uh, very much a team that, you know, gets overlooked in the Pac-12. They have a phenomenal player in McKinley Wright the fourth. And I just... Uh, the same thing with Oregon State. I said, like, I think the Magic's run out. Like, you, you did what you had to do to get to the tournament. Now the team that you're playing has a whole week to look at you. You have a week for your momentum to kind of go stale. Sure, maybe I get this wrong. Maybe Georgetown is meant to keep going on a run here, but I just don't see it. Give me Colorado. 4-13 matchup. Florida State versus UNC Greensboro. Florida State, we talk about how they never have one player that just completely takes over a game. They have five guys that play all together at once every time they're on the floor. Florida State is the prototypical team in, like, we mentality, not I. And every, every kind of cliche you can think about of everyone on your team playing together, playing as one unit, that's Florida State. That's Leonard Hamilton. UNC Greensboro, awesome, awesome team. Uh, the SoCon, they have one of the best players that, from the mid-major level, Isaiah, May- Isaiah Miller, two-time SoCon player of the year and also defensive player of the year. I just think he's going to be asked to do a lot in this game. He's very capable of scoring like 25 and trying to like UNCG to an upset here, but I think Florida State can send you know six or seven different guys to match up with him, which will eventually slow him down and turn. And if UNC doesn't get production from most other players on their team, I think Florida State wins this game easily. 6-11 matchup: BYU the six seed against Michigan State or UCLA, the winner of the playing game. I like Michigan State to win the playing game. UCLA has dropped four straight games. If they lose, they'll end their season on a five-game losing streak for like the second straight year. I think Michigan State's really good. They're very much alive. I like whoever wins this playing game to knock off BYU because every single year there is a team that wins in the play-in round that has success in the next round. One first four team has reached the round of 32 in eight of the last nine years since the tournament has, was expanded in 2011. The only time it didn't happen was 2019, so the last NCAA tournament. But if you look in 2018, 11-seed Syracuse, they made the Sweet 16. They played in the first four. 2017, 11-seed USC, played in the first four, made it to the round of 32. Uh, 2016, 11-seed Wichita State, made the round of 32 after playing in the first four. 11-seed Dayton in 2015, made the round of 32 after playing in the first four. 2014, Tennessee, made the Sweet 16 after playing in the first four. 2013, LaSalle made the Sweet 16 after playing in the first four. 
2012, South Florida made the round of 32 after playing in the first four. And then in 2011, the first year the tournament expanded, VCU actually made the final four as a team that played in the first four. So, based on, you know, past history and everything, and 2019 being the only year that didn't happen, I like Michigan State. I think they're going to beat UCLA. They're going to beat BYU. And even if it is UCLA, I still like them against BYU. BYU's good. Anthony Barcello, a tremendous player. They played Gonzaga extremely tough in the WCC championship game. But BYU lives and dies by the three-point shot. Just takes one game for them not to be on their groove. And that doesn't mean I like whoever wins that playing game to advance over BYU. 314 matchup, Texas against Abilene Christian. An inter-Texas state rivalry. Longhorns fresh off a Big 12 championship. Abilene Christian go Wildcats. They won the Southland. But uh, it comes to an end here for Abilene Christian. It really does. One of the best teams in the country against the spread. So perhaps maybe taking Abilene Christian uh, with the points against Texas might be a smart Wager, they cover 74% of the time, which is fourth best in Division One. Only Drake, UConn, and Grand Canyon, three teams better against the spread. They lead uh, Division One in defensive efficiency. So if you want to talk about a team that plays defense and going to make you work, that is Aveline Christian. However, Texas is quite strong. I like Texas. 7-10 matchup, UConn versus Maryland. UConn 11-3 with James Booknight. 4-4 four four without James Booknight. James Booknight will be back for the NCAA tournament. UConn's leading scorer averages just under 20 points per game. Huskies, top, one of the top defensive teams in the country, one of the best defensive teams in the Big East all season long. They've neutralized some of the best players in that conference when they've played them. Maryland, a team that is predicated on shooting but doesn't do anything really particularly that well. I think UConn can win this game pretty handily. 215 matchup, last matchup here in the East region in the opening round. Two seed Alabama against 15 seed Rick Patino and the Iona Gales. Rick Patino, thanks for making the NCAA tournament. Thanks for bringing Iona to their fifth straight NCAA tournament. But your run is over. Alabama wins that easily. Round of 32 in the East region. Number one, Michigan against number eight, LSU. Michigan is. Without one of its best players, second-leading scorer, heart and soul of their team, four-year starter, best defensive player, Isaiah Livers, out indefinitely with a stress reaction to his foot. Not a stress fracture, a stress reaction. So the difference there in the lingo, stress fracture would mean it is fully broken. Stress reaction means the inflammation and everything is quite severe. And so if he continues to play on the stress reaction in his foot, it will cause, most likely cause his foot to break. So... He is sidelined and not practicing, not playing, because they don't they want the reaction to see if it goes down at all. Because once he starts to exercise on it, it will continue to react and possibly fracture. Big loss for Michigan. How big of a loss, you say? Well, Michigan over the last two seasons is 33-9 and when Isaiah Livers is in the lineup. They've played 13 games without him. They're 6-7 and in games he doesn't play. They have nine losses in 42 games with them. They have seven losses in 13 games without them. That's all I need to hear. LSU has three guys capable of scoring 20 points per game. They're an offensive explosion. Michigan has been a really good team all season long. And I think that they were worthy of a one seed, worthy of the recognition they got with Juwan Howard being one of the best coaches in America. They've been an awesome story. However, things are falling apart at the wrong time for Michigan. Injuries. Little scuffle there with Maryland in the Big Ten tournament. A lot of, you know, 
A lot of things going oh, not in Michigan's direction. They've lost more games down the stretch here. They don't have one of their best players now. And the fact that they are 6-7 and seven without Isaiah Livers, and they have almost as many losses without him, with him, in a much larger sample size. They've played over three times more games with him in the lineup, and they have only two more losses. So they've played three times less games without him and have lost nearly the same amount of games with him. Give me LSU 8 over 1. I think Michigan is the one seed that is most volatile and the one seed that is possibly destined for an early exit in this year's NCAA tournament. Almost every year there's a team, especially a one seed, that loses in the round of 32 or the Sweet 16 earlier than they probably should. I think Michigan's that team, and I think this East region is the region that is capable of just absolute chaos. I like LSU to advance to the Sweet 16. 5-4 matchup, Colorado versus Florida State. I want to pick McKinley right in Colorado to keep going, but Florida State just has too many weapons. Give me the Seminoles and Leonard Hamilton to reach the Sweet 16. 3-11 matchup, Texas versus the winner of Michigan State, UCLA. In this case, I think it's Michigan State. I like Texas. I think, as I mentioned, one of these 11 seeds the play game always reaches, pretty much reaches the round of 32. They don't necessarily have to go further than that. I think Texas is fundamentally sound and capable of making quite a run to the final four. I like Texas to advance. Seven versus the two, UConn versus Alabama. Very intriguing round of 32 matchup because it, for the same reasons why I like LSU over Michigan, I could make the case for that for how UConn beats Alabama. But I think Alabama style of play is just, um, like, it's just so unique. It's UConn is one of the best half-court defensive teams, but they suffered stretches throughout the season where, especially when James Booknight is off the floor, they struggled to score the basketball. Alabama, one of the second-best defensive team in the country, according to defensive efficiency. They play one of the fastest tempos in college basketball, actually the second-fastest tempo, only behind Gonzaga. So they're a great defensive team that plays up pace, and they shoot almost more threes than any other team in the country. Nate Oates is you know, kind of revolutionized the way that college basketball has been played. This has been kind of the ways teams play in the NBA, where they just jack up a ton of shots and everything, but you're slowly seeing this matriculate into the college game. Alabama is a team capable of knocking down 23s against you, and they just lock you up defensively. I like Alabama to beat UConn, but I think UConn could make this game really interesting, especially if it's a game where James Booknight gets going. But nonetheless, give me Alabama. So that sets up LSU, the 8 seed, versus Florida State, the 4 seed in the Sweet 16. Said LSU capable of, you know, going deep because they have guys that can just score, score, score. Well, Florida State has the bodies to play defense. Florida State can rotate in 9 to 10, or even 11 guys. And so if a few players in their team get in foul trouble, they just keep throwing out people to slow down those LSU scores. Florida State in their pack mentality gets them to the Elite Eight in my bracket. Then Texas versus Alabama. I think this game right here decides who goes to the Final Four. I think there you can make a very strong case that Texas winning the Big 12 championship, they've underperformed almost the entire time Shaka Smart has been there. This year, early in the season, they got red hot. They got into the top five in the country. Then they went through a period of games where they dropped to dropped game after game to ranked fellow ranked teams in the Big 12, and people were starting to write them off again. Then they got hot at the right time with the senior backcourt, a lot of leadership on that team. Jericho Sims has been an absolute X factor for the Longhorns down the stretch. It's been 10, 10 years since Shaka Smart 
made the Final Four, perhaps done the 10-year anniversary of making the Final Four, he makes another run with a new team during his entire time at Texas. Being bald, he's faced so much scrutiny, always on the hot seat. This year, he grew out the hair, led him to a Big 12 title. Perhaps maybe it's the hair is carrying quite the confidence and momentum for this long orange team. However, I think they run into a buzzsaw that is Alabama. I just talked about how they have the ability to just explode because they just jack up so many threes that their chances of hitting and getting red hot is drastic. I've been, you know, riding this Alabama train all season long. At the beginning of the year, I did like Texas as a long shot to win the national championship. I still think they are capable of that, but in this scenario, I'm going to roll out Alabama. But I think this is the real game that decides who goes to the Final Four in this bracket. It's a Sweet 16 matchup, but I think it's really an Elite Eight game in disguise here between Texas and Alabama. I like Bama to advance, which means I also like Alabama to knock off Florida State and advance to the Final Four. Alabama looking to join 2006-07 Florida as the only team to win the national championship in both football and men's college basketball in the same season. It's only happened once in their history of both sports. I think they could get best Florida State because Florida State doesn't have the offensive capabilities to hang with them. And Alabama has the ability to slow them down defensively. So, East Region gave you Alabama, and from the Midwest, they gave you West Virginia. So that sets up the final four. Final four. Left side of the bracket, number one Gonzaga against number two Alabama. Right side of the bracket, number one Baylor is number three West Virginia. I like Gonzaga over Alabama. I think if there's a game Gonzaga loses here, a popular chance for them to lose and the most realistic spots for them to lose are obviously these last two games this season final four or the national championship if you look at some of the other teams that have gone undefeated entering the ncaa tournament and we look at how they did uh you know to this point 2015 kentucky is a team that springs to mind so kentucky what they did was they lost in the final four unlv lost in the final four Wichita State, obviously they got upset early. They were lost in the round of 32. That That's an outlier. And then Indiana State with Larry Bird, when they were undefeated, they lost the national championship game to Michigan State. So those are, you know, right there, three examples of teams that have entered the tournament undefeated since the last undefeated team. Three of the four times it's happened, they've lost in the Final Four or the national championship game. I think it's a popular spot for Gonzaga to lose would be the Final Four. I just don't think Alabama's the team capable of doing it because... As I said, Alabama can get really hot. They can shoot the ball at will. They do play great defense, but Gonzaga has like six guys that they can rely on to score. So I like Gonzaga to advance to the national championship, but in a game in which they're going to work really damn hard at, I think they could get to the national championship game undefeated. That moves me over to the right side of the bracket. I have number one Baylor against number three West Virginia. Two Big 12 teams head-to-head. Baylor won the Big 12 championship on the road at West Virginia in the regular season. I've been high on Baylor all season long. I think West Virginia is a team capable of knocking off Illinois and really getting to this point, but can they knock off Baylor to go with it? I don't think so. I like Baylor. I just, they're the best three-point shooting team in the country. They have a bunch of guys that can score. They play a good defense. I, I just think all season long they've been one of the best teams in college basketball. A lot of people are writing them off because they haven't looked as good in the last couple of weeks. It's the same thing with Michigan. However, the thing with Michigan is that they have guys injured and you know people that aren't, aren't that haven't been there all season long. Baylor is finally getting back to full strength. They're finally getting their legs underneath them, getting in good conditioning after having serious COVID problems uh, back in February. They played you know almost no games in February altogether. Like I think finally 
they're starting to get back to the form that they were pre that. Because if there was a team to knock off Gonzaga, like pre-COVID pause, it was Baylor. They were phenomenal. They were beating almost, they lost, you know, they were won all of their games by double digits except two of them. Like they were rolling teams and Gonzaga has done the same thing. Gonzaga's only won one game, not by double digits all year. And that was against West Virginia. So I think Baylor, you know, is capable of beating West Virginia again. And I think, you know, they're a team that can really give Gonzaga a game, especially if they get back to the form they were pre-COVID pandemic. So that takes us to the national championship game. Two one seeds. Number one, Gonzaga against number two, Baylor. Actually, number one versus number two overall. And if you look at, like, one seed history. So one seeds, everyone always says, well, you can you can pick a one seed to win. Well, that's true because one seeds actually do win the NCAA tournament. Um, at least one and uh, one seed has won the last three tournaments, and eight of the last ten have been won by one seeds. So if you're, you know, talking about teams that, like, are going to win the whole thing. One seeds are probably a safe bet. One seeds have met in the title game eight times since seeding began in 1979, most recently when North Carolina beat defeated Gonzaga in 2017. One uh, one seeds, obviously, won 39-1 all-time in the first round, but one seeds also have won three straight in 10 of the past 13 national titles. Although the... Although Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan, the four one seeds this year, have combined for just one national title ever, a one seed has won three straight national championships, Virginia, Villanova, North Carolina, and 10 of the last 13. The only ones in the last 13 years that were not one seeds were Villanova, were UConn, and off the top of my head, I could say it is... That would be then one of the, the second Florida team. Like, one seed's always, like, almost always win. It's just, can two get there? That's the, that's the question. Well, I don't think, like, all four number one seeds are not getting there. Like, that's only happened once since the tournament has ex- expanded to 64 teams in 2008, and if all four one seeds gotten there. I think it's safe to say that you could you could get, you know, two one seeds playing for the national title. I think that's really reasonable. I said that's happened eight times. Last time was 2017. Why not this year? Yeah, why not this year? The last time I had Gonzaga was in the national championship. Why not again this year when they're in the national championship? Gonzaga versus Baylor, head-to-head. We were supposed to get this game back in December. It got canceled on the day of the game because of, you know, positive COVID tests. They tried to reschedule, tried to reschedule, tried to reschedule, tried to make this game happen over and over and over again because going into the season, these were the two best teams in college basketball. Everyone was all over these two teams. We did not get the matchup that we wanted. How fitting would it be at the end of the season, in the final game of the college basketball season, the national championship game, everything came full circle, and we got the best team in the country against the second best team in the country. The matchup that we've been wanting for year in and year out. I think Baylor's extremely capable of getting to the final four. Against Zaga, you know, almost a write-in at this point. Head-to-head, where's where does each team have the advantage? Gonzaga has the advantage in the interior with Drew Timmy and Anton Watson. Okay. Point guard, Jalen Suggs, Macy Oteague, toss-up. Joel Ayayi versus Jared Butler, give me Jared Butler. Corey Kispert versus Davion Mitchell, give me Corey Kispert. It, it's the bench of Baylor versus the bench of Gonzaga, give me Baylor's bench. Coaching, Mark Few versus Scott Drew, give me Mark Few. Very few things separate these two teams. I think Gonzaga would have a slight edge in this game, but I think Baylor's ability to, to keep up and I don't think Gonzaga, like, Gonzaga has size, you know, one through five, but not 
overwhelming size. I'm sure they would definitely out-rebound Baylor. That's one of the one of the problems with the Bears. But I think Baylor has just as good of a shot to win a national championship as Gonzaga does. I think their region is just as soft. And if both of these teams aren't challenged to the Final Four, they could be well-rested and put together, put together one hell of a display on Monday, April 5th. I like Baylor to knock off Gonzaga in a 76-71. The Baylor Bears win their first ever national championship. For perspective on how many people are picking Baylor to win, they actually provide the most leverage of any of the teams with the most winning percentage. So, according to 538, Gonzaga wins the national championship 27% of the time. Illinois wins 15% of the time. Baylor, 13% of the time. Michigan, 4% of the time. So, between Gonzaga, Illinois, and Baylor, they win the national championship 55% of the time. And if you include Michigan, one seeds win this whole thing 60% of the time, according to the simulations. But right now, only 9% of people are picking Baylor on ESPN.com. 37% people are, percent of people are picking Gonzaga. Baylor, I think, has a legit shot, and just as good of a shot as Gonzaga because of how weak the region is. I like Baylor to knock off Gonzaga. 76-71. I'm standing by it. At the beginning of the season, I said teams to watch out for and win the national championship were Villanova, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Texas. Uh, well, being that Villanova's in the same region as Baylor... I like Baylor to knock off Gonzaga. I think, trust me, I can see Gonzaga going the whole year undefeated and winning this whole thing. But if I'm going to be slightly different in my national championship and, you know, stand on the hill with one team who I think can beat Gonzaga, I think it's Baylor. I think Gonzaga can get all the way to the national championship unbeaten. But again, it takes just one game. I say if they play this game seven times, Gonzaga wins. They win the series if they play best of seven. In a one-game scenario, with all the pressure... All the marbles, everything on the line, I would think Baylor could knock off Gonzaga and win the national championship. That'll do it for this episode of Storming the Court. Please go subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else podcasts are found. Please share the show with anyone who needs help filling out their brackets. Let's get this all out there on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever else you share your knowledge with people. Just send them the link. Given the resources of this show, we put in plenty of time preparing. A lot of preparation went into this one. Let's get this show out there to as many people and help as many people with their bracket pools. We'll have shows throughout the NCAA tournament after you know each round. We will have a recap of kind of who advances, some thoughts and everything, and maybe how you could play, and give an update on how our brackets are doing round by round. Until then, you can follow along with the show on Twitter at Ryan underscore Connell. That's R-Y underscore C-O-N-N-E-L-L. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy March Madness and the start of the NCAA tournament. We deserve it. It's been two years in the making to get to this point. We deserve it. Enjoy the games on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And I'll talk to you again next week.